It's Wednesday night. We're talking about the Apostle Peter. What a man. (laughs) If there was anybody that we are like, it was him. Most of us are like him above anybody else in the Bible. He was a, a man with commitment to Christ. At the same time, he had a very... Uh, loose temper he was very presumptuous about things that sounds like me (laughs) when I was younger and he was uh, lose his temper quick you know just would fly off the handle and say some of the most outrageous crazy things yet if you'll notice he was always out front of the apostles he was always ready to go and and uh, defend Jesus, pulled out a sword one time and cut off this guy's ear. His name was Malchus. And it was Peter that did that over in the book of John. And uh, he was, yet God picked him to preach to the Gentiles first. That's over in Acts 10. He picked Peter to preach to the church at their birth in Acts 2. Peter had something that we all have. He was prejudging all the time. He corrected Jesus. Jesus said, I have to go to Jerusalem and I have to die. And I'm going to be raised the third day. And Peter said, be it far from thee, Lord. That's not going to happen to you. I think he's funny. Because right after that, Jesus says, well, before the cock crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter said, I'll never deny you. Well, when he said, I'll never deny you, word deny or nail my means to contradict. (laughs) Isn't that funny? Peter says, I'll never contradict you. Don't you tell me I'm going to contradict you. I wouldn't contradict you at all. And while he's saying, I won't contradict you, he's contradicting him. He's a funny guy, isn't he? (laughs) Sometimes when you look at the things in the Bible, the way they are, it's hilarious. And Peter was that way. And you know, it's amazing that Jesus, first of all, gave the keys to the kingdom of heaven to Peter. And then he gave them to us. He just simply told Peter and he told us afterward you have the keys to the kingdom the kingdom of god is israel kingdom of god kingdom of god was a term for israel and we speak of jesus they put a sign over him when they crucified him king of the jews And the Pharisees came to Pilate and said, don't put king of the Jews over him. Put, he has said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate said, what I have written, I have written, go away. He didn't put put up with the Pharisees. King of the Jews. Well, when did he become king of the Jews? When did he become that? Huh? How long was he king of the Jews? In the New Testament? Was he the God of the Old Testament? Look, let me just show you this real quick. James, uh, I'll get right in a minute. John 8. In John 8. 
Kenneth Copeland will say, Jesus never called himself a God. He was a son of God. You're an idiot, mister. You're just stupid. And people will say, what is this Trinity? Well, Trinity doesn't mean there's three gods. When people put on a board, God, the Father, and God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit, and now that's three gods right there, isn't it? That's not the way it is. It's one God, three persons. First of all, you have to know what God means. Elohim. Now we know that's three persons because I-Y-M or I-M is always plural in the Hebrew. So Elohim means it's a plural Godhead. And God in the Hebrew, Elohim, and in the Greek it's Theos. Whenever you see Theology. Theology means the Logos, L-O-G-O-S, of Theos, the Word of God. That's what theology is. It's a study of the Word of God. So, Theos and Elohim have the same meaning. It means a judge or a magistrate. And this will really puzzle people. When Satan told Eve, said, you will be as God. Was he right? Halfway. Because God means judge or magistrate. And God said, thou shalt not. And Eve said, I'll be the judge of that. She became a little G-O-D. And Jesus told the Pharisees, when they got to complaining about him calling himself God, they said, Jesus said, have not I said that ye are gods? You are judges or magistrates, you're false judges. You, they are hypocrites. H-U-P-O-K-R-I-T-S. Hypocrites is our word hypocrite. Hypocrites meant an under or an inferior judge, an inferior God, because krites is the word judge. So Eve was a hypocrite in the garden because, and a hypocrite, that's what they called an actor in the first century, an actor that went on stage and he put on one of these Greek tragedies and he'd be acting it out. He was called a hypocrites, a hypocrite, was what they called a stage actor in the first century. They would put on makeup, they'd put on a mask, and they called them hypocrites. wasn't a bad term. It was something they called actors. All those people out there in California are actors. I couldn't put on a suit and put on a, uh, uh, some uh, garb of looking like a pirate and run and jump in and go, hey, shoot, and swish, swish, swish. I'd feel stupid, wouldn't you? In fact, some of those actors say they feel stupid. Uh, Mickey Rourke said he, he said he felt ignorant doing that. He made, he'd go out and make money, and then he'd go out and spend it. That's what uh, James Conn said. James Conn said, I hate acting. He said, I'll go out and make some money, and then I'll go out and spend it, and then I'll go back and make some more. 
there's a bunch of them. Robert Mitchum said, if they would pay me as much to sweep the floor, I'd rather sweep the floor. I feel ridiculous putting on some outfit and going out there and pretending to be somebody I'm not. I'd feel ridiculous too. But anyway, hypocrite means an inferior judge. That would be you make yourself a God and you become a magistrate. God is, it's not God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is what it is right here. God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Bible says these three agree in one. They always agree. I don't know how I got on this subject, but I better get back off of it and back, get back to where I was. I was going to read something to you here. Out of John 8, Jesus called himself God. Jesus was God. Now, didn't mean to get here. If I'm not careful, I'll take off on another subject. Here in John 8, Jesus confronts the Pharisees, and uh, they accuse him of having a devil, having a demon. In fact, accuse him of that earlier in that chapter. And they said in verse 48, Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan, and you have a demonion? They said he was a Samaritan. Samaria was a cursed place to the Pharisees. It had all this paganism going on in it, and they didn't want nothing to do with it, and they wouldn't even step foot in the Samaria. So Jesus is having it out with the Pharisees. Could go into the Holocaust, but I don't have time. Jesus said in verse 51, Verily, verily, I say unto you, If a man keep my sayings, he shall never see death. Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that thou hast a devil. We just got through saying you have a devil, a demonion. And Abraham is dead. And the prophets, and thou sayest, If a man keep my sayings, he'll never taste death. Well, Abraham's dead. Art thou then greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? They didn't know that he was. And the prophets are dead, whom thou makest thyself. Who are you making yourself to be? They're dead, you've saying that you've seen them or you know them. And Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom you say that he is your God. You call my Father your God, is what Jesus is saying. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. He said, you don't know my father. He said earlier in that chapter, he said in verse 47, he that is, uh, he that is of God heareth God's words. Ye for therefore hear them not because ye are not of God. Boy, that's a tough thing to say. That's why they want to kill him every day. You're not of God. And then back in verse 53, art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead and so forth. On down to verse 54, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom you say that he is your God. You have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar just like you. Boy, that's a good way to call a man a liar, isn't it? I'll be a liar like you are. He didn't cut any slack for these Pharisees. They looked like Baptist preachers walked around with three-piece suit and a vest and a watch fob. If they were dressed like the guys today, they would. But I know him and keep his sayings. 
Your father Abraham, born in this right here, just blew them out of the water. When he said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw me. That's what he's saying. They're going, boy, they're starting to breathe hard. And he saw me, and I was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, you're not even 50 years old. And you have seen Abraham, and then he said those words. Jesus said unto them, Verily, very I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. When he said, I am, he was saying, I am the I am God of the Old Testament. You know what he was calling himself? Calling himself Jehovah. When he said, I am, that's because Jehovah means Jehovah. Means self-existent. When you see a word, always think of words that are equivalent to that word. That means God exists by his own power. That's how he came into existence. He never has come into existence. He's always been in existence. He's always existed. And self-existent means to be. To exist. If you are a being, then you be. The black community has a way of saying that I be going down. And that's the way it should be said. I be this or I be that. To be. Of course, am is a form of the verb to be. To exist. To be means to exist. And the being verbs of be is am, are, was, were, being, being, have, has, had, do, does, did, shall, will. If you have any ability to will, that's because you exist. But none of us have the will or the being or the am. And Jesus said, I exist. I am the I am God. When Moses said, well, what will I say to Israel? Those people have been in bondage for 400 years. If I go over there and tell them I'm going to lead them out of Egypt, what if they say, who is this God? What is his name? We haven't worshipped anybody for years. And God says, you tell them, I am hath sent me. That was Jesus before he came in flesh when he went to Moses and said, you go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. You tell them, I am. And when Jesus said here in John eight fifty eight, I am, he was saying, I am God. Where did Abraham see him? Does anybody remember that? Where did Abraham see Jesus in the Bible? Anybody know? I'll show you where he saw him. Look back over here at Genesis 18. Genesis 18. Saw him right here. Genesis 18. He saw his backside in Exodus. But here in Genesis 18... Abraham is talking to Jesus pre-incarnate. Right here. This is what Jesus is talking about. He said, he rejoiced to see my day and he saw it. And it's right here. Genesis 18. This is uh, right after the episode with Sodom and Gomorrah. Don't want to go into that right now. All right. Genesis 18, 
page you're having a hard time turning. All right. 18. And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre. Him is Abraham from the previous chapter. And the Lord appeared unto Abraham in the plains of Mamre. This is Jesus. And he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lift up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when they, and when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground. And he said, "My Lord, Abraham would not address some angel as Lord. This was God in the flesh. This was God coming in a fleshly body. It was Jesus before he was called Jesus." This is what Jesus was talking about. He rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it. And he, and he said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Abraham says, I am your slave. He wouldn't say that to any man. He had nearly 400 men in his household, and Abraham was the leader of a nation. Let a, let a little water, I pray you, be fetched and wash your feet. And rest yourself under the tree. I will fetch a morsel of bread and comfort you, your hearts. After that, you shall pass on. For therefore are you come to your servant. And they said, So do as they have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent unto Sarah and said, Make ready quickly. Now he's bowing to this person in the middle. And that's Jesus, pre-incarnate. What he was referring to when he said, before Abraham was, I am the I am God, and he saw me and met me. And Abraham hastened unto the tent of Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of meal and knead it, make the cakes upon the hearth. And Abraham ran into the herd and fetched a calf, tender and young, and gave it unto a young man. He hastened to dress it, and he took butter and milk and calf which he had dressed and set it before these three men. And he stood by them under the tree, and they did eat. This is Abraham meeting Jesus before he was called Jesus. Now, let's get back over here. I got to get back to Peter. Peter had uh, he was a, a really a an unusual man. Let me go. Let's go over here to Mark the Matthew the sixteenth chapter. We're going to talk about the keys to the kingdom. Keys to the kingdom were given to Peter, but they were given to us. Peter was not the first Roman Catholic pope. He was not. And they use these verses to show that the Roman Catholic used these verses to say he was. Let me just say something about pope, first of all. Pope is a Latin word that means papa. I word Papa. My grandsons call me Papa. Papa, can we do this? Can we have some gum? Can we have some candy? I say, yeah, you can. They call me Papa. It's a Latin word that means father. That's what that's where Pope comes from. Now, he wasn't a Roman Catholic Pope because pope, the Roman Catholic Church doesn't start till 325 A.D. when Constantine made this great compromise and joined the church at Rome, the apostate church at Rome, 
with all these pagans gods the tree and sun gods the vandals and the goths and the visigoths and so forth and that's where he started the roman catholic church and that was in 325 a.d at the nicene council and then over the years over the years they added all these things into the catholic church they didn't have a manger scene or what they called a crash or E-C-H-E. Are you familiar with the crash, the word crash? That's the manger scene. They didn't have that till around 1236 A.D. Didn't have a manger scene. It was a maniac <laughs> named St. Francis of Assisi. St. Francis brought that into the church, and he was a wacko. Even the Catholic Church knows that St. Francis was nuts. He was crazy. You have to read stuff about him. He went around telling everybody that he walked, he was so holy that he walked a foot above the ground and his feet didn't have to touch the ground. Do you believe that? I've got some swampland I'd like to talk to you about in South Louisiana, if you believe that. (laughs) And he uh, did some crazy stuff. I don't need to get into him. He's the one that brought in the crash or the manger scene. They, through the years, they brought in all these things a little bit at a time. I've got a list of all of them. If you like that, I'll make a copy and give everybody a list. It wasn't until Christmas was against the law in early America. They didn't celebrate it. They never celebrated it till 354 A.D. And it was a Roman Catholic pope that gave Christ's Mass its pagan name. It was Pope Julius I, Pope Julius. And if you notice, all these started at 325. It wasn't until 1856 that they came up with the idea that Mary was immaculately conceived I don't know how it took them that long. Or the Immaculate Conception. The Immaculate Conception is not about the concept, not about Jesus being born of a virgin. It's about Mary's Immaculate Conception in the womb of her mother. And that's really funny because Mary herself said, My soul doth rejoice in God, my Savior. She said, I have to have a Savior. I'm a sinner. And they said she never did sin. And gosh, we don't need to get in the Catholic Church right now. But it wasn't until 1951. At that time, I was 12 years old. It wasn't until 1951 they found out that was Mary was immaculately assumed into heaven without dying. That she was carried up like just in a cloud and went into heaven. She became the Queen of Heaven, the Mother of God. Of course, the Queen of Heaven was the female deities of the ancient world. They were Aphrodite and and Mileta and so forth. The list goes on and on. So anyway, I don't know how I got there. I need to get back to where I was. All right. And Peter was given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. How do you get into heaven? With what? Huh? 
what is it that will get us into heaven? Well, that's right. And what is that? Isn't that the gospel? Uh, that'll get us in heaven, won't it? If we know what it is, it is the resurrection. The Bible says that. We're talking about the keys to heaven. And I keep saying, the keys to the kingdom of heaven was a term for Israel because God was their king. And if the God of the Old Testament, I started to say this earlier, God of the Old Testament was Jesus, wasn't it? I asked earlier, when did he become the king of the Jews? He was king of the Jews. If we have established that he was the I am God, and we can establish that the God of the Old Testament was the king of those people, then Jesus was king of the Jews in the Old Testament, wasn't he? We'll look over here in Hosea real quick. Then we'll work our way to Peter and God pronouncing, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. But later on, he said those keys went to all of us that get into heaven. Look over here in Hosea 13. Hosea 13. Jesus has always been the king of the Jews. He's God. He's the I am God. Hosea, Joel, Amos. Obadiah, Jonah, Mike, and I am. Kind of, all right. Hosea, the 13th chapter. All right. Look at verse 9. O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help. I will be thy king. Israel is the Jews, isn't it? And this is God talking to Israel, and the God of the Old Testament is Jesus, isn't he? We've already established that. Therefore, Jesus is the king of the Jews right here. I will be thy king. Where is, where is any other city that may save thee in all thy cities? And the judges of whom thou saidest, give me a king and princes. And I've got a, many other places where Jesus is the king of the Jews. Look over here in First Samuel 12 and 2. It, the Bible says right there that God is the king of Israel, doesn't it? And God is Jesus, and Jesus is the king, and Israel is the Jews. Now look over here in First Samuel. First Samuel 12. Sam, uh, Saul has gone out and slaughtered the Ammonites, or the, uh, the king of... Uh, I'll get, hold on a second here. First Samuel 12. And in 11, he's gone out and fought with Nahash, the Ammonite, the, of the Ammonites. He's gone out and slaughtered them. And after he went out and slaughtered these Ammonites, in chapter 12, Samuel's warning Israel, they're going to have Saul's coronation. Saul is going to be the first man that is king in Israel. First man. The first king was God. And then he says that in verse 12. When you saw that Nahash, the king of the children of Ammon, came against you, you said unto me, Nay, but a king shall reign over us, 
We want a man when the Lord your God was your king. And who's the Lord their God? The I am God, isn't it? And that was Jesus. So Jesus has been the king of the Jews in the kingdom of God, and he's going to give to Peter and to us the keys to the kingdom. And the keys is the resurrection. Resurrection, anastasis, means to come to life after dying. To come to life after dying, and we have to die daily, don't we? How do we do that on a daily cross? This is like Dave said earlier. The daily cross is the way to heaven because in order to be a disciple of Christ, the scripture tells us in Luke fourteen twenty seven, that without a daily cross, you can't be my disciple, my mathetes, my learner. And if you don't learn, you can't obey me. And when you're born again and he births us by his will, he insists, he commands us to be a disciple by bearing our cross. And that is... That is a requirement to get into heaven. Bear cross. So all these are equal. Bearing a cross, daily cross, dying daily, coming to life after dying as we die daily. And that's the resurrection coming to life. And that's the gospel. And the Bible says that the gospel is the narrow way. All of these are the same way same thing is saying the same thing. The beginning of the gospel was prepare you the way. Prepare you the way of the Lord. Prepare the way. There's two ways, a narrow way. Notice all we did was put a word on the board. We go into the next thing that it meant, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And when we bear a cross, the Bible says at the beginning of the gospel, which is the same thing as the cross, the gospel is preparing the narrow way. That's the way into heaven. If you're going to witness to somebody, tell them about the narrow way. People don't know quite how to witness to people. What do I say to them? I don't mean this in any offense, but a lot of people don't know how to talk about the Lord you have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved but if you believe let me just say this it's hard to talk to people about Jesus unless you stipulate which Jesus isn't it because the Jesus of the world is not the Jesus of the Bible the Jesus of the world is Satan I need to put that on a t-shirt. Satan, let me put it this way. Satan is another Jesus. Isn't he? The Bible says some will come preaching another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel, And he said, I didn't preach this, Paul said. And he goes on to tell you that other Jesus is Satan, transformed into an angel of light. So if you try to talk to people about Jesus, angel of light, 
transformed metaschematizo. Metaschematizo, A-T-I-Z-O, means to disguise oneself, and he is disguised as an angel of light. Satan comes looking like Jesus using his name. If you talk to people about Jesus, you've got to tell them which one you worship and which one you believe in. There is the Jesus of the Bible. It is the daily cross Jesus, death to self Jesus, gospel Jesus. And there's this other Jesus, which is Satan. And it's an easy Jesus. It's, no, it's a Christmas Jesus. It's a free will Jesus. If you're going to talk to somebody about Jesus... You better tell them which one you're talking about. The best way to do it is not talk about Jesus, but talk about what he said and tell them. Did you know that Jesus said that the way into heaven is narrow? Narrow is the same basic word as tribulation, and you have to go through tribulation. Or tell them, if you're going to witness somebody, just tell them the blunt, straight-pointed truth. You know, you have to be hated if you're going to go to heaven. And that's because you're in the narrow way, because you're telling the truth about Christmas and predestination and and being hated by the world. Did you know that? I have struck people dumb by saying these very words. I remember doing it in a bank to a teller one day. I did. I told these guys down, at a, down in Jolton, at a nursery where me and Mary used to go and shop for trees and flowers and stuff. And I looked at these guys. I said, y'all ever see that guy on TV with the chalkboard and writes all those Greek words on the board? And they said, I don't know. One of them said, yeah, I may. I think I have. I said, that's me. I said, let me ask you a question. I said, did you know that you have to have a day to cross to go to heaven? Because Jesus said... The man that doesn't bear his cross can't be my disciple. Did you know that? They were good. they were looking at me like this. It's really funny. When you get real pointed with Jesus' words, I said, Jesus said you can't go to heaven without a daily cross. And they looked at me and they, I said, do you know where to get a daily cross? And they both of them went, just nodding their head no. I told a lady the same thing at the bank up here. I said, can I tell you something? She said, yeah. I said, did you know you have to have a daily cross to go to heaven? And I gave her the verse in Luke fourteen twenty seven. I said, that's a hard word, isn't it? She said, yes, it is. I said, you have to have one, and you couldn't have one unless you was condemned to it in the first century. You have to be condemned to a cross, and that'll be every day when you speak hard words Don't just tell them about Jesus. Tell them about the real Jesus, the Bible Jesus, and tell them what he said. Pick out some favorite verses. That's a favorite verse of mine to talk to people in public. Luke 14, 27. He that beareth not his cross and followeth after me cannot be my disciple. I said, you can't go to heaven without a daily cross. Boy, that shakes people up. I said, I didn't say that. Jesus said it. And boy, when you tell them that, they'll go, oh. Now, that will make them mad at you. Now, let's look at, we've already looked at this. Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. 
So he has the keys to heaven and hell, doesn't he? The Bible says so. Look over here in Mark, in Matthew, 16th chapter. Matthew 16. All right. Matthew 16. I'll get it in a minute. I'm on the wrong page. All right. Now, here in the 16th chapter, Jesus, in verse 13, came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi and asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? What are they calling me? Who do they say I am? And they said, the disciples said to him, Some say that you're John the Baptist, and some say you're Elijah. And others say you're Jeremiah, one of the prophets come back from the dead. And he saith unto him, But whom say ye that I am? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter, here's here's the man that steps forward, usually before anybody else. Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed are you, Simon, bar Jonah. I gave that to you Sunday morning, I believe. Bar Jonah. Bar Jonah. When you see bar before a word, it means son of. You only called a man a son because he inherited his father's office. Now, this doesn't mean that that Peter's father's name was Jonah. That means that spiritually his father was Jonah because Jonah was told to go to Nineveh and preach to these people up here in Nineveh on the Euphrates, I mean, on the Tigris River right here, running down through what we call Iraq. That was Babylon. He didn't want to go. He jumped on a ship, took off out in the Mediterranean, and after a while, a storm came. God sent the storm, and Jonah said, they said, something's wrong. Somebody's wrong on this ship. And Jonah said, I am the man. Throw me overboard. God had him swallowed by a great fish, and after three days... In that fish's belly, he was vomited up. God said, now go to go to Nineveh, this capital city of the Assyrians. And he went up there and told them, you're going to die if you don't repent. And they repented, and it made Jonah mad, and he wanted God to kill them all because he knew how pagan they were and how they had slaughtered probably some of his own kinfolks. Well, Jonah... His sign was he was resurrected from the belly of the whale. And that's going to be the sign to the unbeliever. Now, blessed art thou, Simon. And Peter's going to have the same office as Jonah because he's going to preach the resurrection. Jonah was resurrected. And the sign of Jonah was that he was resurrected from the belly of the fish. And Peter's going to preach the resurrection in Acts 2 to Jews from every nation under heaven, and he's going to preach the resurrection or the gospel in Acts 10 to the Gentiles for the first time, and that would be at the house of Cornelius, a man that was an Italian. He was of the Italian band. Now, let's continue reading here. And Jesus answered and said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, 
but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. This is the word that the Roman Catholics say, that the church was built on Peter. But the word Peter is the word Petros. Petros means little stone. And when Jesus said upon this rock, the word rock is the word Petra. Petra means a big giant rock or a mountain of stone. In fact, just south of Israel, just south of Israel was the Edomites. If you got Israel right here, Mediterranean Sea, here's Israel. Right down here south of the Dead Sea, you had the Edomites, and the Edomites, they were descendants of Esau. God loved Jacob, and Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and God loved Israel, gave them the commandments of God. He gave Esau none, and loved means to walk in the commandments of God. Well, the capital city of Edom was a big mountainous stone called Petra. It was a stone mountain, and they said, and they had their capital city up there, and the man who prophesied to them was Obadiah. They said, we dwell in the stars. We have this great big rock mountain, and we can't be conquered. When you think you're together and you've got it together and God can't bring you down, I'm here to tell you he can bring everybody down. He has brought me down to the ground. I used to think when I was young I was Superman and I could take anything that was thrown at me. I would just go as hard as I could go and work. I would never be brought down. That's what Edom said. And you know what I was? I was drunk with my own self. Didn't drink, but I was drunk with my own pride. And they said, we can't be brought down. And they had a little, they had a little pathway that would go into the, in this mountain. It was just a pathway of stone. It was straight up. And it was a very, very formidable fortress. One night, the guards on that pathway was like a, reminds me of the, there's a, going into Colorado Springs, there's a path that goes in, it's a, it's a highway that goes in Colorado Springs into, they had a, a place, it was called the Narrows up there, and if you drive into it, you look like, look like you're going to run into these walls. It's so narrow, the walls are high and a rock. That's what that always reminded me of. And when the Nabataeans, when the Nabataeans attacked Edom one night, the guards in in the Petra got drunk, went to sleep, and the Nabataeans just walked in. All you could get was two to three people at a time to walk in. And they could kill off people as fast as they could come in. They didn't have any helicopters and repelling hooks. But they all got, they got drunk. 
went to sleep, and then David Tins came in and said, you're all under arrest. When you think you can't be conquered, the Bible will show you, read the book of Obadiah, it's one page, it says, they say, we dwell among the stars, we dwell with the eagles, nobody can conquer us. When you think you're something super and you think you can't be conquered, God says, I will bring you down. And and Edom was a was a it was a mountain of pride. Nobody can get away from God when he gets ready to bring anybody down to the ground. He'll humble any man there is. And that includes presidents and kings and so forth. Now, go back over here to sixteenth chapter of Matthew. Jesus answered and said, Blessed art thou, Simon, son of Jonah. Flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, you're a little stone, and upon this big rock of a mountain, which is me, which is this statement, thou art the Christ, I'm going to build my church on that. Upon this rock I will build my church. That word build is an interesting word. It's the word oiko. O-I-K-O-D-O-M-E. Oikodome comes from oikos, which means house or family. And the word D-O-M-E, which is roof. It looks like dome, and it is. But it's the house roof, and when the and the he says, "I'm going to build my church." What builds the house of God? How many times have I said it? Anybody remember what builds the house of God? Charity, thank you. Charity edifies. Agape, walking in the commandments of God, builds the house of God. Agape, walking in God's commandments. So we're talking about, we're talking about the gospel is the narrow way and agape edifies us in the house of God and faith works by agape, by walking in his commandments. And that is the gospel because it's the narrow way. Narrow is the way that leads to life. And when we're in the narrow way, we're in the tribulation way because the word narrow and tribulation are basically the same word. Now, let's get on with the teaching. I'm going to have to stop myself from going on these rabbit trails. Now, and then he says, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. That's a very interesting thing because the gates of hell the gates of a city, if we are in the kingdom of heaven, which is Israel, and we are, the gates of a city was the was actually the formidable part of a of a wall. The gates of a city were the last part of a city to fall. They had a north gate, a east gate, a west gate, and a south gate in Jerusalem. And at those gates they would they would sell dung or the plants or for fertilizer, or they would sell sheep. If they sold sheep, it would be called the sheep gate. 
And each gate had a particular place in the city of Israel. And that was the last thing to fall when a city would be uh, would be attacked. The gates were the last to go down. Then he says, the gates of hell cannot prevail against my city. I am the gates of Jerusalem. I am the door, the gate. Now, so he says, and I will give unto thee, Peter. Now, this is not the Pope. The keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Binding loosing was a rabbinical term, a rabbi's term. Bind, D-O, means to forbid, to declare unlawful, unlawful, It means to forbid or declare something unlawful or declare guilty. And loose is the word luo. And take these same definitions to permit instead of forbid. And and, uh, to declare lawful. Or declare innocent. You know what that's the same thing as? What would this be, bind and loose, be equivalent to forbid or permit? What? One word. One word. Does anybody remember? Do you remember? Forbid, permit. Ah, thank you. <laughs> Judge. We're back to being a God. We cannot judge our judgment. Judge Carino means to decide guilty or innocent. Guilty or innocent. So judging would be the same thing as bind and loose. And in in Israel, in Israel, bind and loose being a rabbinical term, A man would be handed the book of the law among the rabbis and say, take this book, pronounce guilt or innocence according to this book. You can't, if you come up and say, judge not, don't judge, don't judge anybody. What you're doing, you're saying, let's let this guy off the hook. Let's declare he's innocent. God will judge him if he wants to. No, we're to pronounce the judgment of God. We're not to look at the outward appearance. We're to judge righteous judgment. So judge has the same meaning as binding and loosing. That was a rabbi's term. Then he says, and the way you get into heaven is by God's word. That's the way. That is the same thing as as gospel, resurrection, daily cross, death to self, self-denial, bearing your cross daily. This is a hard thing to live by. You say, Jim, I can't do that like what you're talking about. I know you can't. But as you live through the years, as you go through trials and persecutions, and as you get tired of that other Jesus, you quit. Most true believers, 
they won't stay in some big fancy Baptist church for 30 or 40 years and think their preacher's wonderful. They just won't. You can't keep doing that. Those are not Christians in those churches. When those guys are preaching free will, Christmas, uh, they have, it's a no, it's a no tribulation Jesus. It's a, when you have all of that in those churches, a true elect of God can't handle it. Most of us here have quit going to those churches, haven't we? Somewhere in time, haven't we? I quit. I kept trying to go to them. I kept trying to preach them. I finally said, I was trying to defend the so-called conservatives in the Baptist movement. I was trying to, I was trying to protect them. And I had to turn around one day and say, you guys don't believe the truth. I quit you. I had to quit the Baptist preachers. Because they don't preach what they used to preach. They used to preach that Christmas was pagan back in the 1800s. And they used to preach predestination. The Southern Baptists did. You guys are, you guys are not Southern Baptists. Y'all that call yourself that, you're not. You hadn't even studied your own history. There is a book called Southern Baptists and the Doctrines of Election, written by Ralph Self. You can get that online, and they'll tell you that all the past presidents from the 1850s all the way up to 1900s, all of them believed in predestination. They all put down free will. They hated it. And we have turned the Baptist church. I'm after the Baptist more than anybody else because I was ordained a Baptist preacher. My father was. I don't like the Baptist church today. None of you guys are telling any truth. I hope some of you will watch my TV I hope you will, because you have, you're lying to your public when you say they have to accept Christ. That's not true. That's a lie. That's as much of a lie as you can find, that they have to pray a sinner's prayer for salvation. If you do that, then you really are going to, you're going to do away with the daily cross and death to self and self-denial. Because that's to believe the real Jesus you got to believe what he said and do what he did. You can't come up and say, would you like to accept Christ? Do you believe God? Well, you better tell him what he said. How do you witness? You're going to start talking to somebody. I tell them what God has done in my life. I tell them what I had to do. They'll know it applies to them too. Don't tell, walk up to him and say, you need to repent. He's going to say, well, so do you. I told an old man one time, he's probably my age, but I was young back then. I was in my 40s. He's probably in his 70s. I said, if you come to our class sometimes, we'll tell you you have to repent. He said, well, you need to repent. I said, you're exactly right. I certainly do. He said, well, 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 I need to repent too. It shocked him when I agreed with him. (laughs) Just tell somebody the truth. Say, you're right. I do need to repent every day. Tell them what Jesus said. When you're going to talk to people, don't tell them about the other Jesus, the lying Jesus, the free will Jesus, the Christmas Jesus. I've done messages where I call it the Christmas Jesus. And the Christmas Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible. The one that will let you off the hook and smooth you over and 
fluff you up. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. That's Satan. What it is. All right. Now, so he says, I'm going to give to you the king, whatever you bind on earth. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What is heaven? Uh, The ruling class, that's right. The heavens is the ruling class. Goodness gracious, you take McClellan Strong. Let me see if I can find this real quick. Here's an H volume of McClellan Strong. These were printed back in the 1800s. They have more information. They don't even put the information that they used to put in it. I'm just going to turn to heaven. Just turn to heaven. If I can find it. H-E-A. Let's see. All right. I just want to show you how this starts off. It's one of the best set of books ever. H-E-A-V-E-N. Heaven. All right. Heaven. Listen to this. This is where it starts. Terrestrially and figuratively regarded, wherever the scene of a prophetic vision is laid, heaven signifies symbolically the ruling power or government. The heavens was the ruling class. The earth was the rule. So whatever you bind in heaven will be bound among the ruling class of God's church. And that is the whole assembly of ruling powers which in, which in respect to the subjects on earth and the earth was the ruled. And you can't change that. If you look up heaven and earth, when a man says, I'll move heaven and earth to get to that woman, that means I'll remove all the governments and all the plebeian people, the working class, to get what I want. I'll move heaven and earth to, to make this company go to the top of the world. So when you have, whatever you bind on earth to be bound in heaven, what you loose on earth to be loose in heaven, Binding and loosing was a term that meant to judge. So the Lord is telling Peter, I'm going to give you the ability to bind and loose, but he's not the only one. Every one of us who are in the kingdom of heaven, we bind and loose according to this book. We declare guilty or innocent according to this book. We judge guilty or innocent according to this book, not according to our opinions. Look not at the outward appearance, but judge righteous judgment. John 7, 24. Isn't it amazing how preachers don't know how nothing what nothing means? Jimmy Swagger's got a set of these McClinic and Strong over his right shoulder when you see him on TV. They look like they're brand new. I bet they are. But he ain't never picked them up and looked in them. I just need to write to him and say, Jimmy, can I buy those from you? They're really good and I can give them somebody who needs them. Somebody will use them. Because he never has looked at them. Now, then charged his disciples that they should tell the man that he was Jesus the Christ. It's not ready for him to go and die. Now, go over here to go over here to Matthew 18. You say, I thought that was just given to Peter. That was given to all of us. Look here in Matthew 18. 
Verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. You go to him alone, by yourself. I have people have given me letters rebuking me. They didn't come to me. They just sent, gave me a letter, handed me a letter. And they called that alone. Well, they wasn't. And if he will not hear thee, then take with thee two, or and take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, which is God's law, over in the book of Leviticus and over in the book of Deuteronomy, every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. And if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican, and separate from him. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. He's extending the law of binding and loosing to all of us. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you, that if two of you, two witnesses, shall agree on earth as touching anything that they may ask, it will be done of them for my, of my Father which is in heaven. So he's talking about the two witnesses here, which is the church. So this law of binding and loosing extends to everybody, not just to Peter. And he wasn't the first Catholic pope. He was a church father. He was a church pope. You got listed in McClinic and Strong. You look up pope, and they'll give you a list of all these church fathers, and they'll call them popes, but not Catholic popes. Catholic papas are early church fathers. Now, so Peter was not the first pope. There are a lot of things about Peter I want to discuss with you. He he was, sometimes he was really good at what he was doing. Sometimes he'd put his foot in his mouth. He did this often. Peter was, you know, he got real angry when uh, the when the Roman soldiers came to take Jesus and cut one of them's ear off, and Jesus put it back up there. I'd like to know what that guy was thinking when Jesus touched his ear and healed it. Can you imagine? It might have caused him to believe. Who knows? Now, Peter was always, gosh, there's so many places to go with him. Uh, Peter, I want to look at some of the things that he had to do about not wanting, he did not want to have anything to do with Gentiles. He didn't want to have anything to do with them. He, uh, go over here to Acts, the 10th chapter. I don't know exactly how to get into all this. There's just so many things about Peter. Acts 10. Peter evidently had always been very stern on his keeping of the laws of God. It was against the law for Israel in the Old Testament to sit down and eat with Gentiles. They couldn't eat with Gentiles. It was the same, the same was true with Egyptians. They couldn't eat with Jews. That's why when, when, uh, Joseph's brethren had come over there and to get grain and at the last 
event that happened, Joseph told all of the guards to get out of the room so he could talk to these men. And he was going to sit down and eat with them, but they were his brothers. And Egyptians would not sit down and eat with a Jew. And that's what they were puzzled about. But Joseph was a Jew. When I say Jew, at the time of Christ, everyone that was in Israel was called a Jew. Usually, originally, Jew come from the word Judah, which was the fourth son of Jacob. And out of Judah would come the king. But by the time of Christ, they were calling everybody who were Israelites, they were calling them Jews. So, Peter, according to Acts 10, was always keeping the rituals of the Jews. And he, there's things he didn't understand. Let's read here. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian Band. Now, this is, this is an Italian. Italian is a Gentile, isn't it? It's a Gentile. Let me erase this and start over. All right. And Peter is approached by God, said, I want you to go preach to these Italians. They were from Italy. They weren't Jews. Cornelius was not, he was an Italian. This is the first time that the Gentiles have been preached to, and guess who gets to go preach to them? Peter. And Peter wants to keep all of the laws of the Jews. He does not want to offend God. He wants to be ritualistic exact and look here and he had a problem associating with gentiles even after this 10th chapter of acts a certain man of in caesarea called cornelius a, a centurion centurion was a roman soldier we get the word century from that centuries a hundred years And a centurion was usually ahead of a hundred soldiers. It grew, as their armies developed, it grew more than that later on. But he was usually ahead of a hundred Roman soldiers. So here's a Roman soldier about to be converted. So this is an extension of the gospel to the Gentiles. A devout man, one that feared God. Oh, he's already a believer, right? Feared God with all his heart, and which gave alms to the people and prayed to God always. This is a Roman Roman soldier that's already believed in God. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming into him, saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up from a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. Simon Peter. And he lodges with one Simon a tanner whose house is by the seaside. And he shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. Now, 
God comes to him and says, Send a man over to get Peter. He's at Joppa. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants, and a devout soldier of them waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto him, he sent him to Joppa, sent them to Joppa. Joppa's on the seacoast of Israel. And on the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up to the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Now here's this ambassage, these ambassadors coming from Cornelius to get Peter, and he's going up on this housetop. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, Peter fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts, clean and unclean. You got to keep in mind the dietary laws of the Jew in Leviticus 11. They could only eat, they could only eat an animal if it was a beast that had a cloven hoof and he chewed the cud. So he had to chew a cud and have a split hoof. They couldn't eat anything else, but that was called a clean beast. If it was a camel, camel chewed the good, but it didn't have a cloven hoof. That's why they could eat goats, because they would chew the good and had a cloven hoof. Anything that didn't have the cloven hoof chewed the good was unclean. Now, no, I better not get into that yet. Four-footed beast of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to Peter, rise, Peter, kill and eat anything on this sheet that you want to. Peter was very impulsive. Boy, he just jumped at that. Whoa, wait a minute. And Peter said, not so, God. <laughs> to me, he is just, just jumps the gun every time you turn around, doesn't he? Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Don't you remember Leviticus, the 11th chapter? It's like he's correcting God. Well, Jesus is risen from the dead by this time. This is not unusual. This was Jesus coming and talking to him. He's saying, not so, Jesus. I'm, going, I'm not going to contradict you again. And he contradicts Jesus every time he turns around, doesn't he? And the voice spake unto him again the second time, what God hath cleansed, don't you call common or unclean. This was done three times, and the vessel was received up again unto heaven. And while Peter doubted in himself what this vision, which he had seen, should mean, he's going to be told. It was against the law to cavort with Gentiles in the Old Testament. Peter was trying to live by the Old Testament laws. He was trying to live by ritual, like people who go to church on Sunday morning, ritualistically to hear some free will preacher bore them out of their minds. And the men which sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. 
and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, lodged there. And while Peter thought on this vision, the Spirit said unto Peter, Behold, three men seek thee. And I might ask you to do something else. I'm going to command you to do something else, just like I commanded you to kill and eat. Of these unclean animals, you can eat anything. Arise, therefore, and get thee down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him. This is what this meant about God dropping the sheet with every kind of clean and unclean animal. Always just right there by the chapter 10, where it says chapter 10, right? Leviticus 11, it'll tell you about clean and unclean animals. And Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am he whom you seek. What is the cause wherever you are? They said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, and one that feareth God, and of good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by holy angels to send for thee in his house and to hear words of you. Peter. We need to hear from you because you're going to preach to the Gentiles. This is the first time Gentiles directly heard the word of God. Then called he them in and lodged them on the morrow. Peter went away with them and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the morrow after they entered into Caesarea. Now Peter's getting hold of the idea God has cleansed the Gentile church elect. All the Gentiles in the Old Testament, remember, they couldn't even talk to them. And God would say, if you go into this land and they won't bow to you, Joshua, kill all of them. Remember, the Lord told Paul, go down to Amalek and utterly destroy Amalek. Destroy it. Cut it to the ground. Burn it down. Leave nothing alive. And Saul came back with... King Agag. You know, I've thought about that for a long time. I believe that the reason God would say kill them all, including the babies, the babies are going to go to heaven to be with the Lord. The others were heathens. God is the God is the only Jehovah God is the only God in the ancient world that would give his people cleanliness laws so they wouldn't eat certain things and they wouldn't get certain diseases, so it wouldn't get all over Israel. And the Lord had that was the last straw with God, with Saul, when he didn't do the things he told him to do in Amalek. Brought back a bunch of sheep and said, well, we need to sacrifice to God with these filthy sheep. They may have disease. And that's when Samuel said to him, to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than doing ritual. Ain't got no business going to these churches where all they want you to do is sit there and be bored by some preacher who don't know what he's talking about because you're doing your ritual to God. And we're not here to do ritual. We're here to obey God. And on the morrow after they entered into Caesarea, Cornelius waited for them and had called together in his kinfolks and near friends. And then Peter goes to Cornelius and he preaches to him. Gosh, I got so many things. Let me go over, and I come back here. Let me go over to the 15th chapter of Acts. 15th chapter. The 15th chapter is referring back to the 10th chapter when Paul goes to the house of Cornelius. It's referring back because 
in the 15th chapter, in the 15th chapter of Acts, you've got Paul is going up here to what we call Turkey. And they called Asia Minor. And all of the seven churches of Asia over here in this area on the eastern end of Turkey. And Paul goes up there. Here's Egypt down here, and here's Israel. This is the Mediterranean Sea here. You can see it better on these. Here on, well, here's the Mediterranean Sea. Here's Israel. And here's Turkey. Or Asia Minor in here, the seven churches of Asia right in here. Now, Turkey's got a lot of history when it comes to the Bible. Now, Paul goes up here on his first missionary journey. Goes up here to to Caesarea. And then he goes over here to Cyprus. Has his confrontation with this uh, with this man, calls him a child of the devil, and he comes on up here to Pamphylia or Perga, makes his way up to the synagogue at Antioch. You had an Antioch over here in in what we would call Assyria, because the Assyrian king was Antiochus. There were several Antiochus. Antiochus the God, Antiochus the Great, Antiochus Epiphanes. These were named after Antiochus Epiphanes, this one here and this one down here at Antioch. Well, he went up here. He was run out of town by the Pharisees who were the rulers in the synagogue up here. He went 75 miles over here to Iconium, and these same guys at this Pharisee, this synagogue over here, came over here a week later, stirred these guys up to run him out of town, and he went down here to Lystra. And when he was at Lystra, he healed a man. And the pagans said, you're a god. We're going to call you Mercury, who's the, who is the interpreter of the gods. And we'll call your partner here, Barnabas, we'll call him Jupiter. Paul said, I am not a God. This is the power of the living God that did this. Well, by this time, these Pharisees from Antioch had gone to Iconium, stirred them up, made them run Paul out of town, and they came down here to Lystra. And these people, these pagans who were ready to accept Paul because he healed a guy, they stirred them up to take him outside the city, throw him off of a precipice and stone him and try to kill him. It was religious men that were after Paul. It wasn't the pagans. The people that don't like what we're saying are the religious people. They don't like predestination. They don't like the fact that Christmas is pagan. Isn't that, doesn't that distress you? Doesn't that make you sad? Doesn't that make you feel bad every day when you get up and you got to face a world like that, that America doesn't believe the truth? Well, guess what? I feel bad every day about it. What am I going to do about it? Nothing. I get up and keep going every day doing what I'm supposed to do. You want to quit? Wasn't it Peter that said, 
Where shall we go? Thou that hast the words of eternal life. I have nowhere to go but here, Lord, and following you. We have nowhere to go, do we? Can we go down the road and find a better church? We go down there and find some guys to golf with and, and bow with and go listen to a dull preacher that don't say nothing. We can do that. We never can go back. I had a guy come in here several years. His name was Chip. He was an electrician. And evidently, for some reason, they left. I don't know why. About two years later, he called me. And he knew predestination was true. He knew that Christmas was pagan. About two years later, Chip called me and he said, Jim, we're living over here in Virginia or somewhere over there. He said, you know when we left there? I said, yeah. He said, we decided to go back to doing Christmas. After being there several years, he said, and we woke up that first Christmas morning. We looked back over at the tree and we said, it'll never be the same again, will it? I said, no, it won't. If y'all figure out where to go where you don't have to put up with this sadness, Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We will be like Jesus when we are sad and acquainted with grief. Remember that last verse of the first chapter of Ecclesiastes? In much wisdom is much grief. You don't want to have much grief. Quit, quit being wise. Quit your experience and just go off and say, I'm going to get drunk or do something. And he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. I've told people I'm full of grief and I'm full of sorrow. Well, Christians aren't supposed to be that way. I said, that's exactly what Christians are supposed to be. Filled with grief and sorrow. There's no, y'all want an easy way out of this? Does anybody want an easy way out? If you do, just admit it. Huh? Well, let me tell you something. There ain't one. It's like Jesus said, it's not my way or the highway. It's my way and there's no way out. You get up on this road, this narrow way, this tribulation way, and I will whip you and I know how to break your will. And I'll use this scourge on you till I break you. I don't teach all the time because I feel like it. You understand? I don't preach because I'm, boy, I just feel wound up all the time. I preach because it's my duty. A lot of times when I'm standing up here, I feel pretty good tonight, but a lot of times I am dying with bronchitis and struggling. And I woke up this morning feeling low. <laughs> it was song by Fast Domino. I woke up this morning feeling low. Looking out the windows, I've told you all this, and I do it every day. God, give me strength. I can't hardly handle this. I will handle it because I know what I have to do. But when I get up and tell people every day, Christmas is pagan, Easter's pagan, God doesn't love everybody. I preach to everybody that comes to my house, every electrician, every time I need somebody, need something done. I preached to him. I preached to Mary's going to have a tree cut down. Three tree cutters came over uh, yesterday and and gave us a, 
some tree that's up against the house that's going to cause the roof to rot out if we don't get it cut down. And I preached all of them. Gave them all a DVD. Told them that the preachers weren't telling the truth. They were lying. What do I expect them to do? I don't expect anything from them. I've given away thousands of DVDs in this town, myself, one-on-one. I've never gotten one phone call. Did y'all know that? I usually carry them in my pocket. I don't have them with me in here. I usually take them out before I come in here. But I take them everywhere I go. I'll pick up a little sack. Mary say, hurry up. And I'm going through the DVDs. Wait a minute. I've got to make sure I have this one. I've got to make sure I have that one. I may run against so-and-so. I don't feel like doing it. But I do it. Are you waiting to feel good about serving God and witnessing for the Lord? I ain't going to last very long. You won't get tired. We do this because this is God's will. Now, where are we? 15. Paul is coming back from this trip. There's some Judaizers following him. Well, remember, these are Pharisees that he preached up here in Antioch, and he preached the resurrection. They got enraged because Jesus has been dead for some time and resurrected, and Paul was preaching the resurrection. Remember, the Pharisees believe that you have to be circumcised, washed in water, that they call a new birth, and that you have to offer two turtle doves. Well, there were some Judaizers, people who believed in the Jewish law, and they were believers in Christ, and they were following Paul back all the way to Jerusalem. said, we've got to go back and circumcise these people so that they can be members of the kingdom of God because that was, a, that was part of the halakha of the Pharisees. We've got, we got, we got to go back and circumcise them. We've got to make them proselytes. Well, there's not any more proselytes. Jesus died, was nailed to the cross. All the rituals were nailed with him. So when they get down here to Jerusalem, Paul says, no, we're not going to. Now let's hear what the council at Jerusalem says, okay? (laughs) That's what Paul would say. I'm not asking you if it's okay. Now, look at verse 5. He's coming in from his first missionary journey. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying, which believed, they were believers, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. They wanted to go back to all the rituals. They were evidently baby believers because they didn't know they weren't supposed to be doing that. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth, and he's referring to Acts 10, the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. God knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and the Gentiles. 
purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples? The next thing you're going to want to do is dip them in water, which was nailed to the cross. That's proselyte baptism. It's in the halakha. You're going to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither their fathers nor we were able to bear. You couldn't keep it out of the Old Testament. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Peter is standing here and said, I preach to the Gentiles, and we, I have learned, I think, that we're not going to make them go through the rituals. But Peter gets his foot back in his mouth in Galatians, the second chapter. He would, you could see this battle going on with Peter, whether he should run with the Gentiles or not. Look over at Galatians. Do I have any time, Mike? Well, I'll try to give you a little bit of this. Peter wrestled with this all the time. Paul's writing the book of Galatians, talking about Peter. Galatians, the second chapter. And I don't have time to read all this. God accepteth no man's person in verse 6. But contrarywise, verse 7, they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me. Uncircumcision was a term for the Gentiles. And Paul said, I am on a mission to the Gentiles. That's why he wrote, that's why he wrote Romans. Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. All those were to the Gentiles or to the preachers of the Gentile church. He said, I'm a missionary to the Gentiles. And the gospel of the circumcision or the Jews was commissioned unto Peter. For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the Jews, the circumcision, which was a title for them, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles or the uncircumcision. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars of the church, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision, only that they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. And when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. He was back to his old ways. Boy, he wasn't the he wasn't the sea of Rome here who was supposed to be without sin. For before that certain came from James, Peter did eat with the Gentiles, and when he saw James, the head of the council at Jerusalem of Jerusalem coming, when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself from the Gentiles, freeing them which are of the circumcision. He was afraid of the Jews, even though he knew he was supposed to be preaching to the Gentiles. So he withdrew from them and said, I admit it with the Gentiles. And Paul jumped his case to his face in front of everybody. Boy, he had struggled with that, didn't he? And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him. To dissemble means to be a hypocrite. They were putting on an act. Insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with his hypocrisy, dissimulation. 
It's the same word as hypocrisy. And when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, Paul said, I said unto Peter. Now, this doesn't sound like a pope with uh, who's infallible and he doesn't have any sin. Paul said, I said unto Peter, before them all, if thou being a Jew, livest after the manner of the Gentiles and not as do the Jews, why are you compelling these Gentiles to live as do the Jews? Why are you living one way and preaching another? Gosh, that goes on, doesn't it? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. <coughs> Don't say he's not justified by the law, by the rituals of the law. And you're trying to keep rituals, Peter. Boy, he was messing up constantly, wasn't he? But he does get it together, finally, when he's crucified upside down. He said, I'm not worthy to be crucified as my Lord. Crucify me upside down. Knowing that a man is not justified by the rituals of the law. You have to look and see what a word is saying. It's not saying he's not justified by the law. All the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Walk in God's commandments. By the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, not by the rituals of the law, not by separating from Gentile believers, not by separating blacks and whites and reds and browns and yellows that are all believers. You don't separate them. We are all the same thing. We're all brothers and sisters. For by the works of the law, by the ritual of the law, shall no flesh be declared innocent. I'm out of time. I'm going to come back to Peter. There's so much interesting about this man. You can see how he would say one thing and do another. When he was first called to go to the house of Cornelius, the Gentile, he didn't want to go. God said, kill and eat. I'd like to go to Leviticus 11. I'd like to go to Romans, the 14th chapter. I'd like to go. There's a lot of places I want to go where Peter has had. You know what he's like? You, me. We've all thought we were going to serve God by being faithful to be, to a ritual, going to a Catholic church and and doing your sign of the cross and doing all that stuff, or going to a Baptist church and listen to a boring preacher and make sure you go to all of the rituals that goes on at that church. We're not involved in rituals here. We're just teaching the truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. God, help us to continue this work strengthen the sheep lord it's awful hard to be strong when you get depressed you were depressed you said you were a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and we have to be the same what we have to learn lord is to kick ourselves and get up and keep going thank you for your word and for truth we'll praise you for all things strengthen the sheep In christ name we pray amen Peter was a character, wasn't he? I think he was funny sometimes. Yes, ma'am. The scriptures that say you're what's...